welcome to episode 83 of Friends of Film, a podcast that says movie news and theatrical releases. On this episode, we'll cover Lion King Gets a Scar, Aladdin Gets a Jafar, Flashpoint's possible release date, and more after we review The Dark Tower. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iTunes by searching Friends of Film. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Hood, once again, Joe man, eager to discuss the latest Stephen King adaptation, Josh Straley. I don't even know if I could get over a headache talking about this latest oh adaption. Take it as you're not a fan. I, I'm yeah, I'm not a fan of the adaption um, okay. as a preview. So there you go. Yeah, so we'll, we're gonna get right into it. You won't have to wait long. Uh, just a little uh, plug stuff before we get Josh's reaction to it. Uh, we will be getting into spoilers at some point, I assume, on the Dark Tower. If you have not seen it and you want to avoid the spoiler talk, uh, there will be a timestamp in the description of this episode so you guys can skip ahead to the news, but hopefully you have seen it and you can stick with us through the entire episode as we're also going to talk about some news mentioned in the preview, but also do a big question about Star Wars and our kind of confidence in the movies moving forward. But enough yapping from me. Josh, The Dark Tower, how bad was it? Yeah, well, okay. The let me can I start from the beginning? Yes. But the short of it is it's bad. But the Dark Tower is this like winding twistic epic saga with mythology as deep as Mariana's trench, all right? King wrote King kind of wrote these up as uh, as like an answer to Lord of the Rings or you know these movies that just have all this lore and, and otherworldly. Um but it turned out to be that this is a saga that nobody could crack for a movie not abrams not howard and even though stephen king may think differently not even our style and anybody yeah. at you know sony studios uh at best the dark tower is a matrix movie that makes even less sense <laughs> um at and uh at its you know at its absolute worst uh it's an embarrassment that belongs to be buried under you know just with the rest of failed adaptions and you know tasteless money-making uh schemes and and so forth um you know the entire film is miles and miles wide and barely an inch deep you know in story in characters uh in, in plot and like even the action as kind of cool as it was to see Idris Elba as Roland um, blasting through enemies and, you know, like with the stylized action that was was really, really good. It just feels bland because there's absolutely nothing behind any of it. Um, and I guess I'll start off like right there. Uh, the gunslinger played by Idris Elba, um, Roland Deschain or Destain, I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh holds this movie together um he's he's this is almost too punny but he's the dark tower of this movie he's holding all of the realities together and you know without him bringing weight and gravity and a sense of urgency to the movie uh, there was no way i could have even probably stayed awake um and they he has a, a crazy backstory and all of that but it's just it's glossed over. It's barely mentioned, but Idris Elba's carrying that on him, and he does it. He does it so so well. Um, and playing opposite to him is Walter Walter, the the Man in Black, Matthew McConaughey. He's he's having fun with this role, and he's you. I don't know if it was me, but I could totally see him enjoying every moment of you know this 
uh, people call it, I think we're calling it like an action pulp. And I, and I agree mm. with that, but yeah, he's loving his role as the man in black, just being a complete monolithic evil, you know, and their, their feud, um, throughout the movie is the only thing, you know, notable. Um, uh, as for Tom Taylor, uh, or Jake Tom, um, played by Tom Taylor, mm-hmm. he was great. His fish out of water, um, wonder and wow with uh, the midworld, and then you know his bond with Idris Elba, perfect, great. Uh, that that helps the movie a ton. But it's this is the movie is the same problem I had with the Mummy earlier in the summer, and it's exposition, some narrative, action piece, exposition, narrative, action piece, some humor sprinkled throughout, um, and then we get this massive ending and you're left wondering what any of it means. And, uh, you know, that just didn't do it for me. Um, and I don't know where I can go before we get into spoilers, mm-hmm. but I'll let you take over. But the short of it is, uh, it's a 1.5 ticket. Stops. Okay. Not as bad. I didn't know if you'd go one or lower, but, uh, uh yeah, I, I thought this was an interesting world, but, uh, it was terribly told. Mm-hmm. It was uh, a, a lot of, like you said, this thing has a rich mythology. There's like six or seven books that Stephen King yep. uh, made. And this is based on it as like a continuation of those books uh, in, a, in a sense. And, you know, Sony had hopes to make a TV series, which they are apparently still are, are planning to make because they hired a showrunner for. Um, and then also, you know, do sequels and whatnot. But, um, I don't think we're going to get there because it's a not getting great reviews, not from you, not from any critics, not from me either. Um, and it's not doing great at the box office. So even though it was made for like $60 million or something, mm-hmm. uh, it'll, it could still make a profit, you know, with worldwide box office and everything, but I don't think it's going to be a movie that you're going to see and be like, yeah, you know, I'd want to see another one of those. Um, and I think a lot of that is just because this movie is 90 minutes long, but it feels like it is six hours like there, it was just blowing my mind where I'm like, okay, this movie has to be, you know, getting done sooner thinking, okay, so, you know, based on a typical story structure where, you know, we're in the middle of the second act right now. And I'm thinking, <laughs> wait, that's only been 45 minutes. Yeah. It feels like it felt so long. And I think that's just a lot of that just goes to the pacing. It is just ridiculously slow that. You know, when, uh, you know, kind of learn about Jake and he's having these weird dreams about this else world and they turn out to actually be real. And then, like, he get he goes to the other world because he finds the transportation system and then it's just, like, just dead. Like, everything just slows down to a halt. You have him and Elbow just running through the desert and kind of just waiting to get to something exciting. And you get there eventually with, you know, one solid kind of memorable action scene with the gunslinger but like you said the rest of the action was just just bland didn't feel like anything i thought elbow was solid as he is probably the best part of the movie and i'd agree that mcconaughey is weirdly entertaining yeah i don't maybe that's just because he realized at some point in the production that this movie's probably not going to get a sequel or anything so let's just be a little weird and i I think he kind of hammed it up um and to that aspect, it worked, even though I have no idea what his motivations are outside of, I must destroy the tower so all worlds will be dark. 
okay, but why? <laughs> like, right. why is that the case? And like you mentioned that they have like this long history with each other and it is just glanced over just so briefly that like it doesn't feel like this epic war that it should. It felt like, oh, just like a grudge match kind of mm-hmm. that resulted in thousands of casualties, I assume. It's not really ever really pinpointed how big this war ever got outside of like one or two like dream flashback sequences like there's nothing to tell me about what this world was like before and i think that would have been the better movie to make instead of you know this one i I think tom taylor's fine as jake but i mean his purpose is is just as a he's a plot device at the end of he's he is the MacGuffin, which uh can work in some cases but in this one it just just didn't work for me and there's outside of those three there's a pretty good supporting cast around them uh whether it's you know jack earl haley or Catherine winnick or um some other people and like they are just so sorely underused we were like why are like it kind of threw me out i was like wait fran kranz is in this movie like wait what like and i and then i realized like oh i remember hearing about that but the fact that he was just like some weird like computer screen like tracking guy i was like this is just like weird like it's not like this is an a-list cast where like it's cool to have those like sort of cameo guys it just it threw me out of the movie a little bit um there was so little action that it just kept boring me throughout the whole thing and that that didn't help with the really slow pacing where i just kept waiting for something cool to happen and i only got it that one time um and then by the end of the movie there are literally multiple worlds at stake and it doesn't feel like there's anything more than like i don't know the fate of like a subway station like <laughs> there is there's there's nothing like it does not feel in the slightest like multiple worlds are about to die and that you know you know Matthew McConaughey is going to win and take over like spread darkness across the entire multi universe whatever mm-hmm. it just feels like nothing like nothing's happening and then the end result is ultimately I thought it was disappointing the way it all kind of concluded and it kind of sets up a sequel and I don't think we're ever going to get that. So like Elba has some like fish out of water moments where it felt like Thor in a sense, where it's like, Oh, yeah. here's, here's Thor in Midgard. He's going to try to adjust to earth culture and make mm-hmm. jokes about hot dogs and stuff. And all of those jokes, I didn't think that any, like, a lot of those jokes did not land. They oh. were, I thought they were, I thought they were, missed most of the time there's stuff in the hospital didn't work for me um and then just other moments that i've already forgotten about that you know i was like "Ooh, they went for a joke there and it is dead silent in the theater (laughs) okay um so at the end of the day i you know i think it's a two ticket stub movie okay wow oh that's you seem a little bit hard i guess okay doesn't seem like you're you're not being very generous but in what way well i thought that for one i thought the jokes worked but I guess I'm approaching it from just being a horrible adaption, so that's probably why. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I just don't... Okay. Like, there's not... Like, there wasn't any moment where I remember, like... I think there was maybe one or two moments where I cracked a smile at a joke, mm-hmm. but, like, I didn't think they were ultimately that good. All right, and all right. I think some of them missed, so... Uh, let's just move into spoilers, so that way you can talk about your feelings freely. Yeah. Um, I mean, so if you haven't seen it, let me- stop listening. Um, or don't stop listening. Just fast forward and... You know, check check the timestamp and move on to the news. But parent out spoilers on the Dark Tower, Josh. Okay, well, how about I just I'm going to ask you though, because okay. where did you just finally tap out? Because um, I saw it with a couple of people that had no idea about even the Sting of King novels or 
any kind of, you know, entrance into this, mm-hmm. but what to you was just, I don't know if there was really a specific point where I was like, I'm done with this movie. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of, I, I just felt myself waiting to be drawn in and that never happened. So sure. I mean, probably around the time when right before they go to earth, I'm like, okay, this movie's not really doing anything. It's, it's lost me pretty much so far. And it, it try it picks itself up a little bit once it's back on earth because of, you know, the action scene and stuff. But mm-hmm. for the most part, you know, I don't know, 30 minutes in probably is when I was like, okay, this, this movie, I'm probably, I'm not, I don't like this movie. Yeah. Okay. Well, all right. I guess, I guess my biggest issue with this is, is it's treated like a spaghetti Western movie okay. more than it is. Um, like like a, a cross between some kind of cheap Western film and a, a D level Thor film, mm-hmm. uh, with like you know the Dark Tower being the stand-in for the Rainbow Bridge, the right, Bifrost. Yeah. I think it's what I think, that's what it's called, right? Mm-hmm, yep. Yeah, and uh, I, it's almost like th- they realized that everything that made the series great as a book saga wasn't going to make it over to a film and you know in any sort of way um and the whole dark tower series is sort of like stephen king being meta about all of his work mm-hmm. and the, you know you, you, yeah, you yeah. notice notice some of the mm-hmm. easter eggs yep. for, for it the shining yep. um i'm trying to think of a couple other ones but off the top of my head that was but, all, you know. those are the only two i caught yeah. okay yeah and it's the mid world supposed to be, you know, the place between re- all the different realities that his books, you know, mm-hmm. take place, and they don't they acknowledge it with you know, winks and nods, but those are central to the books. Oh, okay. um, they skip over, you know, adding Jake where they did. They skip over what makes the book series good, and it's following Roland and his story, mm-hmm. and that that's the. That is the most important thing. And to, you know, just twist it around and make it all about the tower and not the journey in between is, ah, I just, it's it's such a huge missed opportunity because at the end of the, at the end of the book series, because I've, though I haven't actually finished them, I Mm -hmm. did skip to the end and, you know, read up all, read up all about it. And the tower has no real significance in oh. the end, and Good they gave it some kind of significance in a this. A lot of significance. Yeah, it's the, yeah, it's the it big is, deal. Yeah. <laughs> it is the threat. Exactly, and it just totally. I mean, it, it took the meaning out of everything that at least I'd invested so far, mm-hmm. and turned it into a serialized action piece. Yeah, like I. Th- like I thought one of the more interesting parts was definitely the backstory between the gunslinger and the man in black. Like mm-hmm. how can the guns, how come the gunslinger is the only gunslinger that can resist his magic? I don't know. They never explained. I don't know if that's explained in the books at all, but I mean, he is the, the, the man in black's one that kills Roland's father. Uh, like I'm guessing their history goes a long ways past that. You know, there's like hints towards all of his magic abilities that they never really disclose, like really how powerful he is. Um, and then like, why are kids the only ones with shine? Why, why is that the case? Why is, you know, 
Jake, this like, you know, Anakin Skywalker to the dark, to the dark tower universe. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't get it. And then like, they kind of hint in the movie. I don't know if, if this plays out in the books or whatever, but that like Jake is, or could be some like gunslinger, shine user hybrid. I don't know if that's how it goes in the books. I was like, okay, like, are they like setting this up for him to like mm-hmm. use the shine and pull the trigger and like be the one to kill Makane at the end, uh, which he isn't, but Makane does die. But like, that was just like a weird, like two minute thing that they, you know, that they, that they put in the movie where I was like, mm-hmm. that either is going to factor in now or they're going to try to bring it into a sequel. And since it didn't play in this action movie, the sequel thing, I guess. Yeah. And that, and that's kind of the thing too, because this movie is for the, for its time frame is pretty ambitious. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the special, the effects and everything like that, um, they are actually pretty impressive. And that may be why, you know, trailers took so long is because this movie was done on a budget and so few people working everything out. Yeah. Um, and I almost think if you go the opposite way, if you take this and you ground it in, you know, a one story, one book, or, you know, three or four books and go just more of the Western route, like the, mm-hmm. like the source material is, you come away with a, a piece focused on Idris Elba, who is arguably the best part of your film anyway. He is the best part. I don't mm-hmm. think it's really arguable. I feel like it's pretty definitive that yeah. he is the best part. Some people may like God, hey, but uh, he, he more plays zany villain than he does. Yeah, but yeah. I think, you know, like you said, he's the backbone. Absolutely. And you can focus on story and you can focus on his sole goal of hunting down the man in black. I think, are you familiar with the opening titles of each of the books? No. Um, the man in black fled a caught fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed. That's how each book opens. And oh, okay. it, it's, it's that like just focus on that, but instead they want to whip everything up into the film. And that's where we lose uh, all the themes and, you know, the important aspects of what King was trying to get across. Mm-hmm. And you can build mythology from there, but this felt like, just someone saying, let's do it and be legends. Right. Uh, and we get a discombobulated mess that, mm-hmm. you know, I, man. And that, and that's what I got. Yeah. I think the other thing I have a question about, um, since you have knowledge of the books, like, is there ever a point in the books where the man in black dies? Do you know that? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, we're in spoilers. So yeah. he never ends up, getting the man in black. Oh, okay. When he finally arrives at the tower, um, it starts his journey all over again. But like, but like the entire book series is all about him versus the man in black. Right. Yeah. So like, it's just strange to me that you would take, that you would disregard the seven books that came before this movie and the source material kind of, it seems like push it all together into one movie in a sense, mm-hmm. and then try to still set it up for a sequel where, the main antagonist is now gone from what they kind of set up in this, this, this universe. It doesn't really seem like there's any other giant threats to the world at stake or any world. So like, why does Elba Stoney be a gunslinger? Why is he bringing Jake along on this adventure? What even could their next adventure be? I have no idea because I mean, unless like one of the man in blacks, like hench guys is like, 
I'll, I'll, I'll redeem yeah. you. I will, you know, I will hunt these guys down and I will, you know, get revenge in your place and I will take down the tower. Mm-hmm. Then like, what are you doing? Like, it just seems like an odd, you know, decision to make. If you're trying to start a franchise like this and you have McConaughey on board, you have Elba on board, unless that's the only reason you get McConaughey is because you're like, it's a one and done. Yeah. Then he's like, all right, cool. But it just, that's a weird decision to make to kill off the big bad of like all seven books in your first movie mm-hmm. and then still plan on continuing this. Yeah. And that, and, that, and I sort of justified it like, okay, maybe this is sort of like a adaption out of a timeline from the, the books that would make sense, you know, sort of like there's a cycle and the cycle's finally been broken and yeah. that's where this movie comes in, I guess perhaps, mm-hmm. but the, the entirety of it, like you were saying is, one on one this guy versus this guy and that plays out across you know an entire series uh, and yeah now that's gone yeah so what what is your tv show going to be about what I, is your i think the tv show is supposed to be a prequel so like it, of for uh roland so i feel like this the the tv show would be the movie you'd want to see but I don't think we'll get that TV series because I mean, unless this movie just surprises overseas or something, I don't, I don't see why Sonya will continue to put money into this. Not unless you're planning on going book by book and adapting the source material. Right. But you've already, you know, hodgepodge them together mm-hmm. into this film. And I, I, I don't know where you go. Yeah. I have no idea. I, I, uh, Mo- even the, for most movies where I'm kind of like meh to bat on, there's still movies like, you know, um, uh, Warcraft last year. Was that last year? Yeah. Yeah. Where I was like, that wasn't a good movie, but I would still be interested to see what they could do mm-hmm. in a second adventure in this world now that they have all the world being out of the way. This one, I'm like, I don't even know where you would go, so I don't even want to see a sequel. Yeah. They like, didn't even bother world building here. No. Like they did, but it was all an exposition and flashback stuff where any of that interesting stuff you can't play with anymore now. Mm-hmm. So what I mean, what is the point? Exactly. And you know, Warcraft had the at least the foresight to make themselves the most prequel, mm-hmm. you know, that the series had ever seen, so then they can play with all of the yeah. stories going forward. Mm-hmm. And uh, so whatever Duncan Jones, you know, wants to do going forward. Uh, if they get the chance. Yeah, absolutely. So in this is, uh, I mean, I'm almost exhausted just trying to, <laughs> because I want to, my, my gut is to want to talk about the books and explain word for word why they screwed up. But, you know, I'm not always the one that tried to adapt it into a movie. Right. And I'm sure Abrams and Howard who, and anyone else that came before them mm-hmm. or after them that tried to get this done. Uh, hit the same snags. Yeah, so. and like it just it it confuses me that in like the day and age in Hollywood that we live in, where every studio wants these mega franchises and these epic you know franchise fantasy films, why you why they would make this decision to disregard everything that came before the potential to have like a Lord of the Rings esque you know western something mm-hmm. to do this that just that just seems like a weird decision to make unless you think it's uncrackable. But I mean I don't. I don't think that's the case. You just got to find the right people. We live in, this would have been better as a prestige drama on Showtime, HBO, FX, Probably. or AMC. But, you know, they needed the budget of a big movie mm-hmm. too. So it fell in that, you know, if you will, mid-world of, right. <laughs> you know, too ambitious for 
TV, but not big enough for a film. So. Yeah. So uh, do you have any other thoughts on The Dark Tower? Uh, y- yeah. No, that was my closing thought. That it would have been closing? a better series. All right. Yep. I, I would agree there. So those are our thoughts on The Dark Tower. I gave it two ticket stubs. Josh gave it one and a half. Uh, we will be right back in a bit with the news. back with the news and our first topic of the week is uh about the bumblebee movie with thr reporting that john cena has joined in a what they describe as a lead role he will surround the young cast assemble led by Haley steinfeld meanwhile paramount has also pushed back the film off of its uh, midsummer 2018 release it'll now debut december 21st 2018 right up against aquaman oh snap. if all things hold so uh do you like the addition of John Cena? Yeah, because he's been growing on me. Okay. Um, I think the first movie or the first time I ran into him in film was Amy Schumer's Trainwreck. Mm-hmm. And I thought he did a good job. Uh, and this looks like it's more up his alley. I mean, he could be pivoting to uh, action star and then him and Steinfeld together or opposite, depending on how the film plays out. Sounds pretty fun. What about you? Yeah, I don't know what role he's going to play. Uh, I guess we don't even have technical clarification that it is uh you know a actual real life role maybe he is going to be the old voice of bumblebee or something oh. like you have no idea that'd be a little weird but um i mean i could see john cena as a robot voice i guess but uh yeah i think you know him in a lower budget transformers movie could make a lot of sense it mm-hmm. gives them somebody as kind of that recognizable name and star where even if you're not you know, he's not a movie star yet, but pe- you know, people know who John Cena is based oh, yeah. just because of, of his wrestling career and everything. And, you know, if you can put him on a poster, you know, along with Haley Steinfeld, who's still a rising mm-hmm. uh, young star, then I think that's going to help you sell some tickets. So I, I totally get why this decision was made. Yeah, I can imagine like a lot of little kids, you know, who love wrestling or whatever the case is, you know, seeing him on there. Right. And that would be terrific. Um, also in this, though, did you read the synopsis? Uh, I don't remember if I did or not. Well, it just is. It just it's gonna play out like a teen car movie. Okay. Uh, like sort of the first Transformers, yeah. and um, Haley Steinfeld's character Charlie, she finds Bumblebee in a uh, junkyard, and she quickly learns that this is no ordinary VW Bug. And I'm just like, so what is this? Like a Herbie remake or <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> the case Herbie is. fully loaded. Yeah. Let's get Lindsay Lohan in there. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, that sounds that sounds fine. I mean, I. It's kind of expected, I guess, that they'll just kind of remake the first movie mm-hmm. with you know a female lead. I mean, that makes sense. Uh, I don't know what the villain would be then. Uh, I still, I, I don't know where this movie's going and what story it's going to tell. But you know, John Cena and Haley Steinfeld. I mean, I'm more sold on Haley Steinfeld, and then um, uh, the director whose name I cannot remember right now, but he did Kubo and the Two Strings. Uh, you know. Those are the points that are selling me more than oh yeah the Bumblebee spinoff movie I've always been you know waiting for it's uh, Travis Knight right yes yes uh, yeah um, but you know since they also did move it to December and it's going up against Aquaman do you think it'll both of those movies will hit the date and if not which one do you think is more likely to move Aquaman is more likely to move um, Transformers is a machine that Paramount has mastered to this point mm-hmm. so they're not going to miss a date you know DC is still as much as it feels like they're finally getting things together, um, 
Aquaman still feels like it could go week four, week back. Yeah, I think it could take a week forward and then it basically, you know, they would literally be taking the Star Wars slot that Star Wars has occupied, you know, after Last Jedi for three consecutive years, that second week of December. Mm-hmm they'll have with Aquaman and then next year or the year after that, they will have it with Wonder Woman two as well. So I think it makes a lot of sense. Plus if you're Aquaman, you get a jump on transformers and don't have to worry about, all right, well transformers, people have already seen it. And now we're competing with its second weekend. You can be the big blockbuster first and then try to battle transformers for, you know, to stay on top of the second weekend. So, yeah, uh, I mean, that's assuming Aquaman's good and we don't know, obviously, but there's there's promise there uh, as of right now. We'll have to wait and talk justly to find out. Um, But one director who's not joining the DCEU uh, will be uh, Wam Colette Sarah because Deadline is reporting that The Shallows director has now agreed to direct Dwayne The Rock Johnson in Disney's uh, uh, live-action take on The Jungle Cruise Ride. Uh, There's currently no release date for the movie, but what do you think of a The Rock led and Colette Sarah directed Jungle Cruise movie? I'm trying to imagine Colette Sarah doing a movie for kids or the PG audience, right. and nothing is fomenting in my mind. Mm-hmm. But if he can lay out some drama with the most bankable star in Hollywood and the most charismatic man I can think of, Dwayne Johnson, sounds like a win. Yeah, I mean, I don't think this is a. Uh a project I'm necessarily that interested in as of right now. Maybe once we see a trailer or something, uh, then I will be. But, you know, they, they could have gotten anybody and I would be like, okay, cool. It's, it's a Jungle Cruise movie. Yeah. Um, maybe it'll be their next Pirates because they pulled it off pretty well with Pirates turning a Disney ride into a uh, mega franchise. But uh, I don't really see that. So, and, I, and plus I thought he'd be a good fit for Suicide Squad too. So I'm a little bummed he's not doing that. But you know, they'll, they'll find somebody else, I would assume. <laughs> I mean, they have to. Yeah, it's reminded me of when I saw this, though, and like it reminded me of the ride. Have you seen the SNL skit for the Jurassic Park uh, Jungle River Raft I ride? I don't believe so. Okay, that's what it reminded me oh, of. Okay. And it's just where Johnson's like this total bro, and then um, him and his girlfriend are like having the best time on the ride, and then there's another couple opposite to him, which is Key Peel, and usually played by like Cecily Strong or mm-hmm. somebody else. And they're just always getting like hit with all the waves and everything like that <laughs> it just played out really funny yeah so, but i think he's gonna do great yeah so uh sticking with disney and their live action stuff uh the rap has reported this week that chuatel Ejiofor 4 is currently in talks to join john favreau's live action lion king as the voice of scar this means those rumors of hugh jackman are false and that jeremy irons will not uh reprise his role as he did in the original animated movie. So with Ezra Ford now, it looks like boarding Lion King as Scar. Do you think he's a good fit? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, listen, I, would, I was all sold on Jackman, mm-hmm. and I think I said, oh, it's a guarantee at this yeah. point. <laughs> um, but I, I am just as stoked for this one. Uh, he's already got his is in with Disney with um, Doctor Strange, mm-hmm. and he's going to crush it here. He's got that. He's got a deep, resonating voice, and... Anytime, even when he says something or speaks, you know, trying to be wise or friendly, there's still like this hint of 
um, venom in it. Mm -hmm. And you can see that throughout Doctor Strange, which is going to make a perfect scar, I think. Yeah. What do you, what are your feelings? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on board for this as well. I, I, like you, I would have, I was kind of really on board for the idea of Hugh Jackman doing it, but uh, I'm, I'm equally on board for Chiwetel. Uh, I think he, he was great in Dr. Strange. He's also played a really good villain in uh, Serenity. Uh, he's, he's, right. he's really yeah. good in that movie as well. So he can definitely do the villain thing. I think when I think of like, you know, his voice, it, it fits along there with Scar. I don't know about his musical abilities, um, but I don't have the, I don't have any doubt that he won't be able to pull off, be prepared. Cause it's not like Jeremy Irons was the greatest singer right. at either. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, it shouldn't matter. They extracted a great job from Dwayne Johnson from Moana. That's true. So I, if yeah. if they got that out of him, they can definitely get it out of uh, Elogifer. Yeah, Ezufor. Ezufor. Yeah. Thank you. And plus, like like the the Rock comparison I think is a good one because they play to the strengths of those those people a lot. Mm-hmm. Like the Rock, he kind of talked his way through Moana through um, You're Welcome. Yep. And then like Christopher Walken. He, they slowed down, <laughs> you know, I want to be like you because like, it's just like, that's, that, that, that suits him better. Yeah. So uh, I think, you know, John Favreau's a genius, so he'll make it work it with re- whoever it'll be. It was really uh, just like, you know, when you talk about want to be like you, it really turned it into like a, a sl- like a cabaret, yeah. like in fit with the Godfather feel. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm sure they'll, they, yeah, like you said, they will play to a strength. That's a really good point. Yeah. And plus also by Favreau. So mm-hmm. he is, she has shown the ability to do just that. And that is not the only uh, casting that we got for a live action Disney movie with the Hyde reporter revealing two roles for Aladdin. The first one going to the mummy and murder on the or- murder on the Orient expresses uh, Marwin Kanzari as he is currently in talks to play the villain Jafar in Guy Ritchie's adaptation. Plus they revealed that uh, Nassim Pedrad from SNL and new girl has joined in a new role created specifically for this film. Uh, what do you think about the castings? Okay, Pedrad, first of all, I don't know what she's going to be doing in there, but great pickup. Yes, she's uh, hilarious. Yeah, absolutely. And then, because uh, immediately her Kim K portrayal comes to mind, but mm-hmm. also, I, I haven't seen her in New Girl. I'm pretty sure she's in New Girl. I'm unless so I'm, far behind. Unless I'm that. missing, unless I'm mixing up their identities. Okay. Uh, with there, there's a girl in New Girl. They look exactly identical. I'll, okay. I'll fact check it real quick. But sure. She she if it's the same person she's she's hilarious. Gotcha. And then also she has this impersonation of Anziz Ansari that um, she showed off on the Conan show, and it is absolutely hilarious. So I don't know if she's gonna be like a friend of Jasmine's or you know whatever the case mm-hmm. is, but I'm sure it's awesome. And Marwen, I don't know anything about him to say whatever, but I saw a photo of him, and it, dude looks like he can play a very handsome and malicious Jafar. <laughs> yeah, he definitely looks the part a lot more than like those rumors of like Tom Hardy or something. Like oh, that doesn't yeah, make any that doesn't make any sense. No. Uh never did in my mind. So I'm glad to see that they went with Marwin like you. He may have been in the mummy, but I cannot think of who he was in that movie. Um and I've seen the murder murder on the Orient Express trailer a couple times and I still can't pinpoint his face. Uh, I haven't watched it since this news broke, but mm-hmm. you know, just replaying it in my mind, I can't be like, oh, so that that's what that guy is. So, yeah. uh, but I mean, they did the same thing with casting Aladdin. They cast somebody I have no idea who he is. Um, so the fact that Disney is doing that, they're getting you know people that are ethnically correct for the movie, I think is very important. Yeah. And uh, you know, doing that, getting people who are unknowns that you know 
by giving them these roles, they can mm-hmm. hopefully break out, have, you know, yeah. we can have more stars that are, you know, of various races and Absolutely. everything. I think that's a great move for them to make. So hopefully I'll be impressed by uh, Marwin. And I did confirm that it is Nassim is on New Girl. She plays, um, I don't want to ruin, you know, the, the plot of New Girl for no, everybody. No, go ahead. But uh, later, eventually she becomes the girlfriend of Winston. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's like his. She's his. Uh, his partner on the on the uh, uh, LAPD. Is that where they live in LA? I never could figure it out. Sometimes it feels like Brooklyn. Sometimes it feels yeah. like Los Angeles. I, actually, I think it is Brooklyn because there was a Brooklyn Nine Nine crossover. There you go. Yes. So yeah. Both options. Uh, yeah. So yeah, but she is she is hilarious in New Girl. Uh, so yeah very on board for both of those castings and uh moving on to the marvel cinematic universe mcu exchange uh broke some news about captain marvel this week uh specifically that the kree hero known as marvell who in the comics is the original captain marvel is set to be included in brie larson's solo film they also revealed that the psyche magnetron machine uh that is heavily that is a huge part of captain marvel's origin in the comics is going to be uh some version of that is going to be included in the film and that her that uh, Captain Marvel's uh, new abilities from her Kree DNA will be uh, the re- the rationale behind Brie Larson's slowed aging. So that's how they're going to work around the 1990 setting and her looking exactly the same when she appears 30 years later in the fourth Avengers movie. So with all that on the board, what do you think of these details? Awesome. Um, I've been talk. you've been talking me through <laughs> Captain Marvel's origin story. I think over, the last year since yeah. we got the announcement. Yeah, last Comic-Con. Yeah, last Comic-Con. And so slowly, bit by bit, I've been like putting it together. And then, like you know, if you would have laid all this out for me 12 months ago, 13 months ago, I would have been like, what? Yeah. Huh? It's no, stop, start, go all over. And I'm like, all right, here are the finer points of things that you have actually rationalized mm-hmm. or said, um, I think, in, in the yeah. San think, Diego podcast. I believe so. Yeah, absolutely. So you tell me, <laughs> do you you feel can you feel vindicated? Um, sure, I mean it's always nice to you know, have theories and stuff you know, proved. I mean this is not confirmed by Marvel, so you know, right? Uh, I have a close connection with MCU Exchange, so I I believe them. I don't think they would put out some you know some crap stories or whatever, some you know, speculatory uh, stuff as rumors and reports that they've heard from sources. But uh, yeah, I think it makes all this stuff just makes sense because it's how it has been in the comics and Marvel for the most Marvel likes to stick to the comics the best they can. They will make changes when necessary. Like Drax in guardians in the comics, he is somebody who's initially from earth and in the movies, he is definitely not. So, uh, I mean, they are willing to make changes when necessary, but I think for, you know, for Captain Marvel, you know, I think keeping it close is, is a necessity and, you know, Bringing in Marvel, I think, is cool because if they're doing the Kree Skrull War, you have a Kree superhero. I don't see why he would not be a. He would have to be a huge factor in that war. That makes that makes sense. And then for him to be the mentor to, you know, Carol Danvers, I think makes a lot of sense. Maybe that could be Woody Harrelson. Uh, I'm just throwing that out there because they're promoting uh, Glass Castle right now and. Right. Looks like Woody and Bree are enjoying themselves together, and now Woody's you know doing Han Solo. So, mm-hmm. 
just something I've been thinking a lot about that either he or and or Ben Mendelsohn will be in this movie. Uh, I would not be surprised if either uh, or both of these guys are cast in the movie at some point. So and then, yeah, the the DH thing, I think that makes the most sense because you can't not explain it. And if you're giving her alien DNA to begin with, why not just slower aging? That way you don't have to worry about, oh, you know, she's right. actually 77 in this movie, but she still <laughs> looks like she's, you know, in her early 30s. Like, it just makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so it, don't correct, I mean, correct me if this is wrong or whatever, but I do, the guy's name Marvell. Yes. So obviously my gut is that he's going to get knocked off somehow. And then she picks up the mantle of Marvel, and that's, that's that, how they that, get around that, it. That's kind, of, that's kind of how it goes, yeah. That's pretty clever. I so, love that. I mean, yeah, that's, I'm assuming that's how they will that's how they'll do it in the movie <laughs> as well. Um, I mean, maybe they'll just do it a little differently. Sure. But, yeah, I think that it just makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think uh, – and plus it's just cool to have just another ultra-powerful person in there. Uh, and, yeah, I think Captain Marvel is going to be very cool. Absolutely. It seems like it's in good hands, and it's got a – great cast yeah so hopefully we'll find out more about that movie uh we, we should in the next couple of months because they start shooting at the beginning of uh 2018 so showing be a couple months before we know more about that supporting cast and everything and movie that we also got some news so potential news on when it could be hitting theaters is flashpoint as uh, Forbes revealed an article this week that Warner Brothers uh, may be targeting a 2020 release for Flashpoint. In this report, they also confirmed that Gal Gadot will, uh, is, is currently scheduled to appear as Wonder Woman. And there's also you know, heavy you know, speculation that most of the Justice League cast will also be appearing uh, be, just be based on that storyline. So do you think it could hit 2020 release date and what would you do you want all the other just League people to be included in this movie uh, okay so i don't know how ambitious this flashpoint's going to be mm-hmm. um but if it's anything like i think we talked about the cartoon yes. uh and yeah i would love to see as many people stacked in there as possible um but to when you start juggling so many people you got to make sure there's a purpose and a drive for each one of them but popping Wonder Woman in there. Uh, the, you know, the standout of the DC movies right now, absolutely the best idea possible, mm-hmm. especially if Flash is still, a, you know, needs a mentor, mentee. And uh, yeah, I think it's a great idea. Yeah, I Don't mean, you? she won't be that great of a mentor if they do, you know, do Flashpoints uh, close to the source material in that way. That's true. But uh, yeah, I think, it, I mean, this is not terribly surprising considering they're calling it Flashpoint. Uh, if you've if you've seen the animated uh, movie or if you've read the storyline of the comics, you know that you know Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Cyborg, and then Thomas Wayne, they play pretty pretty important roles in that story along with you know Reverse Flash and obviously Flash as well, Kid Flash, everything. So uh, it does that. This is not surprising the slightest. I hope it is a 2020 release because I don't want to keep waiting and waiting to find out more about this movie and actually see it eventually, hopefully mm-hmm. one day. So. I am hoping that Forbes is correct and that 2020 is the target. So, but again, like I said it when we talked about the Flashpoint announcement, I wish this was just going to be a Flash movie to a certain degree. And now knowing that, you know, Gal Gadot is definitely going to be in there. Great, because I love her in Wonder Woman. But at the same time, you know, if she's going to be in there, Jason Momoa is going to be in there. If um, uh, Negan from The Walking Dead, <laughs> who a name I can't think of right now for whatever reason, uh, 
plus you know ray fisher they're going to cast a kid flash uh reverse flash everything if all those people are going to be in this movie that is a that is a lot to juggle so it, i don't know how much of that story will actually be like really focused on you know on flash because if you're having aquaman if you're having the atlantean versus amazonian war taking place you have to spend a lot of time establishing what is actually happening plus you know superman comes in later on and i mean there there's so much stuff going on in this story potentially that i i don't know if flash will be lost in the shuffle i, I wonder if this will be there almost justice league 2 in a sense hmm. where hmm. You know, if it takes place, you know, three years after the first Justice League movie, it gives all those stars, you know, a break potentially gives them more time to figure out whether or not Ben Affleck's going to stay on board long term or not. And uh, I think it, you know, there's just a lot of people, but it, it could be interesting. Who is Jeffrey Dean playing? Oh, he he plays uh, he plays Thomas. He played Thomas Wayne in BVS. That was him. Yeah, it's him. And um uh, that was a good pick. Um, Not one I would have seen why, coming. Why? Uh, why am I blanking on Walking Dead actors' names today? Um, uh, Lori Cohen. She, okay. She plays Martha. I totally missed that. Yeah. So then, if they do, depending on how deep into the Flashpoint, mm-hmm. you know, source field they go, she could be the the Joker in this universe in this movie. So, uh, again, there's there's lots of things that they could be be playing with here yeah i mean at a certain point and i think this is kind of what i criticized spider-man a little bit for um is i guess looks like flashpoint will just be the perspective of flash in you know a justice league movie Mm -hmm. and he'll have a pivotal role to play and i guess that that, that's the route you're going i mean that's it's a successful route to go i mean as we've seen across the aisle but like you said you know you know uh, rick famuyua's flash movie that we assumed he wanted to make, you know, yeah. low, lower key, kid oriented. It seemed like he wanted to do like a buddy movie almost with him and Cyborg. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, that while I do want a movie like that playing, I want a Teen Titans-esque film to play out mm-hmm. eventually. Um, as long as Flashpoint, you know, as long as they go full steam ahead and live up to the ambitions of that plot. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. I, I also, mean, I think this continues to show you know even though i think it's i mean it's heavily been speculated already that you know all these just like members would be involved in flashpoint if they adopt it like the source material um but the fact that you know gal is the first name to kind of be sort of confirmed for flashpoint outside of ezra i think just continues to show that you know the dceu is going to put a heavy focus on wonder woman moving forward they already have her sequel coming out in 2019 uh she's going to be in justice league at the end of this year, she already had her solo movie this year. Next year, I would not be surprised if she popped up in Aquaman for a scene or two. And then, you know, if she's got her solo movie the year after, she got Flashpoint the year after that. I, I don't I don't know why we would not see Gal Gadot in a DC movie every year, honestly. I think that I think that's a very realistic thing moving forward. Yeah, I mean she'll be the she she feels like the Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. of the of the franchises, so um which is Fine awesome. by me. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So uh, that's all the news we have uh, in terms of the news section. We have some other news tidbits we're going to dive into with our big question, uh, which is Star Wars related this week, because there's been just some, some small stuff that's come out uh, over the last couple of weeks regarding uh, the future of Star Wars and kind of the status of multiple movies. And with uh, the news this week of um, uh, Star Wars Episode 9 getting any rewrites, we figured this would be a good time to just kind of 
see what our confidence is in the Star Wars movies uh, moving forward um, and just kind of run down three bits of news real quick. Uh, John Boyega was talking to the pop or talking to Popcorn with Peter Travers about uh, Star Wars: The Last Jedi, and they asked him about, you know, his relationship with Carrie Fisher and losing her and everything. And he said, uh, "quote In this movie, uh, it sends her off in a very amazing, amazing way. She's still kept alive in this franchise. You know, that's the beauty of it. She lives forever in a sense." So there's been, you know, thoughts and theories that maybe you know Leia could pass away at the end of the movie. That she could make it out look man episode nine he kind of leaves it open there either one could happen um but we've also seen the last couple weeks uh ron howard the new director on han solo just really be a hype man for this movie uh try to change the the mindset around this movie that it's not in trouble that is actually in really good hands with photos with interviews with everything he can do to try to just make people feel at ease about the status of han solo uh we'll discuss whether or not that is working and then, like I mentioned at the top, the Hollywood Reporter revealed this week that Jack Thorne is currently uh, rewriting the script for Star Wars 9. So, with all of that, you know, we'll start with The Last Jedi, I guess. But, you know, what do you, w- w- are you confident that The Last Jedi is going to, A, be a great movie, f- meet your expectations, but also that, you know, they'll be able to do a proper farewell to Carrie Fisher and the character of Leia? Yeah, you well, the, the, this is a good cross because what Boyega Boyega almost sort of leans on what we have happening with nine. Mm-hmm. It sounds what what Boyega is saying. It sort of sounds like he sums up Carrie's role in um, Episode Eight is going to get wrapped up. Her role in the entire trilogy is going to be finished at that point. And he, like you said, he leaves the door open between here, probably you know, um, surviving but also being gone at the same time. Right. So that that was an interesting way to put it. I mean, dancing back and forth between two ideas, so no one knows what to say there. Mm-hmm. But uh, Jack Thorne coming in um, to write Nine is interesting because it seemed like Trevorrow and everyone else should have already had the script pretty close to being finalized. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I mean, we're eight months away, eight months out since... Um, Carrie passed away Mm -hmm. so anytime any way they would have had to have pivoted you know it's probably been working on it and this means a roadblock got hit in changing it and I think the I think you know the exact words are they needed a fresh set of eyes so it's almost anyone's guess and if they had to deviate from what the original map was that Ardent put out that Abrams helped cook up or uh, even I don't know if Ryan Johnson leaned in on it or mm-hmm. not. Uh, Colin Trevorrow and Derek Connolly don't have the greatest track record, I guess, in critically reviewed scripts and movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, obviously, we did we reviewed Skull Island earlier this year, and that was uh, Derek Connolly has a credit on that, and that movie's narrative, at least, or, or at least in editing, came out horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's, there's Jurassic World, which plot was panned by some but i think was okay uh, and then there's safety not guaranteed and then monster trucks right <laughs> so yeah. you know uh the track record isn't isn't golden mm-hmm. uh to say the least so so the the rewrite on nine is concerning to you yeah i don't know if it's concerning but it, it definitely means something 
there is a big change coming for it. Okay. And Thorin, um, his only notable movie, I guess, right now is Wonder, which is the Owen Wilson, Julia Roberts, and Jacob Tremblay movie, mm-hmm. uh, which looks adorable and sentimental as heck. Uh, so maybe that's what they want to inject into Nine, um, some kind of at least emotional weight to it, because mm-hmm. that's definitely not Trevorrow's strength. So perhaps that's the route they're going. I mean, if they're going to handle the passing of a pillar of the franchise, they're going to need, you know, something truly beautiful or, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, really heartfelt uh, and worthy of it. And it seems like this guy, I mean, he's a BAFTA winner. So um, it's, that's, that's the impression I'm getting. Okay. What what's your takeaway from Thorn and Boyega and uh, the Thorn news is I've I've two I've two mindsets on it. One, it's a major studio movie, getting a fresh set of eyes or you know a an enhancement on the script. You know, just a a, a small rewrite is nothing. You know, typically that is you know that is non typical. The thing that would they don't mention this in the Howard Reporter article to what degree it's being rewritten. If it is just a fresh or a fresh pair of eyes, just, you know, Thorne is coming in just to look at it, maybe pump up some dialogue here and there, make sure the story beats all work. But if he's coming in and, and they're going, all right, you know, Tr- Trevor tried to make this work and he's it's not working. So we need you to, here's our guidelines for how we want nine to start and finish, fill everything in in between. And then he's completely rewriting the script. Then I'd be really concerned. Mm -hmm. But since I don't really know which way it is, I'm kind of left in the middle of going, all right. I mean, would it have been better if, you know, they were just confident in the script already. And, you know, Trevor has said in the past that, you know, we have our draft done. You know, we are, you know, we're, we're, we're working on fine tuning it right now. Maybe this is part of the fine tune, but, uh, I am I am more led to believe that it is to try to make nine pop and stand out a little bit more because like we like we talked about you know whether or not Trevor O should you know direct nine after the whole um, book of Henry book of Henry ago. yeah disaster um, and I I I I said then and I'd say it again that I think he is just kind of he's the studio safe guy where you can put Colin Trevor O on episode nine and say, this is the movie we want to make. And you say, I, I can make that movie, but he's not going to really wow you or make any just real drastic, you know, surprises or changes or anything. I think he is like, I know you like Jurassic park uh, or Jurassic world mm-hmm. a lot. I know yeah. you like Jurassic park as well, but uh, I don't like Jurassic world a lot. And I the, the criticism of that movie for a lot of people was that it just felt like Jurassic Jurassic park it just felt like the same, but updated. And I don't want Trevor O coming off of what I believe is going to be a great eighth movie from Ryan Johnson. I don't want him to come in after that and be like, all right, here's my interpretation or here's an updated version of uh, Return of the Jedi. Like, that's, mm-hmm. that's not what I want. You know, like, give, I want something fresh, something new, something that's going to still excite me in some way, not something where I'm like, all right, even though it's not Return of the Jedi, I know the same plot points that this movie's going to follow if it just follows that same format. Yeah. So that that's the thing that's most concerning to me about the nine rewrite is just that 
maybe nine's not in the best hands and or maybe even lucasfilm doesn't know where they want to take this now after carrie fisher's death where she's supposed to have supposedly a really prominent role in episode nine that they are still kind of trying to figure out all right well uh which, which way do we do it how do we how do we get around this uh i believe ron johnson has said that carrie fisher's death didn't change episode eight at, at all yeah so if that's the case unless you are changing it ever so slightly or that episode nine was supposed to be her mission off world. And then you still mention that she's going off world. And then you just never hear from Leia again. I don't, I don't know how you deal with all of this. Yeah. And it's, it was a weird, it was a thing. It was a weird thing for Boyega to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I mean, he obviously knows what's up yeah. um, more than anybody. So he's speaking with the most knowledge and we're, we're grasping it, yeah. yeah, we're grasping at straws here, um, but but of course Fisher was pretty adamant, and Johnson was adamant that they were going to, you know, get her something in nine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if that was just a desire, or uh, as opposed to what the studio's plans were, as opposed to what Trevorrow had already been working on and writing. Um, so who knows with that, but. Yeah, I, I I think I tend to agree with you, though. Um, avoid too much nostalgia and avoid cliches. And maybe that's why Thorne's there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, we, it's hard to say <laughs> what's up because we haven't seen eight yet. Yeah. And that's the, that's the, uh, that's the temple. That's going to be, the, that's the pivot point for the entire series. Mm-hmm. That's when, you know, in episode five was when Star Wars stopped being about, fighting evil and became a family drama, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> or whatever the case is. So whatever they're cooking up or, I mean, cause if, if they said they hadn't changed date and they yeah. weren't, but yet at the same time you make it sound like, then you have to completely redo the idea for nine. If mm-hmm. you're not changing it. And just a, a thought I had, what do you think, or what scenario do you think episode nine has more pressure on it? If episode eight is fantastic and is the empire for a new generation, or if episode eight disappoints and then it's left to nine to salvage this trilogy and end it on a high note. So wait, what again? So in which, in which of those scenarios is, does nine have the, most amount of pressure put on it if episode eight is fantastic and blows people okay. away or if it underwhelms and leads people you know being like yeah it was just a remake of empire or oh it i don't like what they did with luke mm-hmm. or i didn't like okay. this redemption arc with kylo or whatever i well, yeah if it, de- it definitely has more pressure on it if eight doesn't turn out great really because i i think if you know if seven is for a lot of for most people uh one of you know the top Star Wars movies. I mean, it sure. depends on what era you grow up and everything. Whether or not you'd put it, you know, in your yeah. top inside your top three, or if it's Jeez. like, oh, but nothing can touch the original trilogy or not. But then, if Episode Eight is also like right in that discussion, or you know, goes into the top three for a lot of people, if Episode Nine then comes out and it's like, yeah, that's fine. Like that, mm-hmm. that's. I think that puts a lot of pressure on it either way. Which is <laughs> it's kind of an unfair question, I guess. But right. I think there's almost more pressure on it if episode eight is fantastic and in discussion for even the you know original trilogy theater going people that oh this could be the best stars movie of all time then episode nine has to 
carry off of those, like carry off of that wave and mm-hmm. has to meet the expectations of everybody leaving that theater. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think you said like, I almost, there's almost no right answer. Yeah. And you can almost do that with any, any movie right. that's going to have a film follow mm-hmm. it guaranteed. Yeah. Um, because you, you're always going to want the quality to improve. Yeah. But as we know with trilogies, the third film always leaves people wanting more. So I don't think either way, I, I think Trevorrow's in the precarious position of your film is not going to be the most beloved because right. it ends the story. It makes the hard choices that people are never going to be happy with because you know, you in your mind, the, your conclusion is the best conclusion right. and the, the beginning and the ending are some of the hardest things to ever do, mm-hmm. at least, uh, in my mind. So Ryan's at the point where he gets to, he gets to change the, change the scope of the film. Mm-hmm. He gets to take the, the frame and place it where he wants it. And, you know, give us the twist, give us right. the pivot. And you're give pretty confident in Ryan. Right? Uh, yeah. I think, yeah. I think, I think whatever he got, whatever he hashed out with Lucasfilm and is going to be excellent. Yeah, or I, at least, worthy of star wars yeah. how about that whether I, we like I, it or exact not same feeling yeah is a totally different question does it concern you at all that he said before that uh that there wasn't really a plan like a overarching plan in place for where lucasfilm and disney wanted this trilogy and the franchise to go moving forward that he really had carte blanche do whatever he wanted with mm-hmm. eight and that Trevorrow's kind of left picking up the pieces of that. And then you know, you think back to seven, you're like, okay, does that mean we won't, we'll never know the answers to some of these questions or will these hints actually not mean anything or what? Uh, do you have any concern that maybe Lucasfilm doesn't have, you know, the Marvel cinematic universe layout where they know, they know what they're doing for the next 10 years and that this film will help lead into this film, that mm-hmm. this film will set up this character in this way. And that, they have this overarching narrative and that Star Wars is maybe more going film by film. Yeah, they're going oh, they're definitely going film by film. Um Ardent when he wrote his original treatment right after the initial deal uh back in 12 um he created characters, he created kind of like a mini uh story arc or whatever mm-hmm. the case is. Um set the frame for episode 7 and so forth. And Star Wars has always been, you know, We'll do one, and then we'll go to the next. Um, and that's why there are two Death Stars in the original trilogy, because they've always been, you know, flying by the seat of their pants. Yeah. They, didn't, they didn't expect to get to episode five. Or do you wish they would six. maybe change that approach? No. Okay. Because you want to tell a complete story. You don't want... Uh, and that's the thing I ribbed Spider-Man for. Mm-hmm. Uh, as much as I enjoyed it, was leaving those hanging threads. People, I think people like conclusions. I mean, they like everything to be wrapped up. Stars episode seven for all the questions that it left out there, if you will, told a complete story Mm -hmm. and every character was done service. Um, And eight doing that was, is totally fine. You know, it'll tell, it'll have complete arcs for characters. I mean, they're, they're episodes, Mm -hmm. uh, little, points in time where we pick up where we left off. Um, you know, and that's how kind of Lucas imagined it. And I, I would feel, I think it would be terrible to go to, to shift your storytelling methods to, 
um, you know, tune in in two years to find out what happens right after this moment, even though that's what JJ yeah. did at seven. I mean, that's kind of what they do anyways. Yeah. But also, I mean, when you think of four, five and six, each one has a conclusion where you think, okay, well all that happened and you know, it's on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I, Trevorrow has limitless resources behind him. Yeah. And two creators that are good, two directors who are absolutely going to be producing and giving ideas um, Mm -hmm. on the the story and their input. So I think we'll get a worthy and end to the trilogy. Yeah. Regardless of who's cycling in and Mm -hmm. out of writing the script and, you know, giving ideas and right. looking at dailies. Plus, I mean, Kathleen Kennedy has shown as president of Lucasfilm that she's not afraid to make whatever change is necessary to guarantee a product that most people will come out liking. You know, Rogue mm-hmm. One went through all that production trouble and it came out and a lot for a lot of people, you know, it's, you know, arguably, you know, better than force awakens in some cases and stuff like, you know, people, people came out really liking that movie and you know she made another bold move with Han Solo, bringing in Ron Howard after firing Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Uh, I th- when the news initially broke, you felt pretty you know confident in that decision. I was more like, yeah, you know, I think Howard's just a safe choice. He's going to mm-hmm. get the job done, and he has really turned into this PR machine for Star Wars ever since he's been hired. He has been posting basically a photo a day on Instagram of the set of Han Solo saying, oh, here's a really blurry photo of, you know, of Donald Glover's Lando. You can't really tell. Here's maybe Chewie with another Chewbacca, like, or another Wookiee. Like, what's that? Uh, you know, here's just some other, like, really, you know, just kind of teases to, for to, to kind of just keep you interested in this movie and make you feel mm-hmm. warm and fuzzy inside. That everything's gonna be okay with Han Solo, and he's saying all these all these quotes that, that I think you'll mention in a second. Yeah, but I don't buy it for a second. I don't think this movie is gonna be terrible, but I'm not letting Ron Howard and his PR machine make me think. You know this. You know now that he posts a picture of this random droid. Now I know he's, he's the best choice. Hansel is going to be fantastic. Like I, I get like, that is totally the result. Like the, the rationale behind doing these photos on front. I know for a lot of people, it has worked for the for people who are going, you know, I just, it, it looks like they're having fun. Yeah. And that's, that's what matters. <laughs> that means it's good. That means it's in good hands. And I'm like, it doesn't, I could mm-hmm. go post a photo of whatever. Right. Doesn't mean that it's the, it's going to be great. You know, yeah. You know, it, it just it just doesn't. And I mean, maybe it will be, and I hope it will be, but I still don't think that, you know, if you're getting rid of Phil Lord and Chris Miller, two phenomenally, phenomenally, <laughs> phenomenal creative guys, and then you're bringing in Ron Howard to mm-hmm. fill the void and try to change the tone away from a just straight up slapstick comedy, depending <laughs> on what reports you believe, to right. make it feel more like Star Wars. Um, you know, I keep saying I want to see Star Wars branch out. I don't want to see this is just another Star Wars movie. It feels like a Star Wars movie. I want to see them explore various genres, explore different characters and character arcs and mm-hmm. character types. And, you know, Ron Howard posting a thousand photos from the set of Han Solo or videos of him throwing away his lunch 
Like that's, <laughs> that is not going to change my opinion on whether or not he's the best director. I think we'll figure it out next Christmas or next May. Um, but you know, I'm not letting these photos sway my opinion either way. I am firmly planted in wait and see approach. And I don't think that it, I don't think it's really, I don't know how you can see the photos and be like, yeah, it, it's in the best hands possible. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny at this point, you know, to um, think of Ron Howard on the set of a, you know, uh, filling a vacancy left by Phil Lord and Chris Miller. And then thinking, Oh, that's the guy that would played Richie on Happy Days and Opie on <laughs> right. the Andy Griffith show, you know, filling in for the directors of uh, 21 and 22 Jump Street. So, uh, yeah, and it's definitely a PR move. I mean, mm-hmm. like you said. Because these movies are super strict in terms of their secrecy and their mm-hmm. privacy. And, you know, if I mean, maybe it would have helped things if Lucasfilm would have told Phil Lord and Chris Miller, hey, don't you know, don't be afraid to share stuff from set. Just don't spoil anything. Yeah. And, you know, I think I it would not surprise me to know that, like, you know, Kathleen Kennedy's onset of Han Solo or, you know, Ron Howard is sending her pictures like, hey, is this one OK to post? Can I post mm-hmm. this? Can I post this caption? You oh, know, yeah. whatever, like getting approval and all this stuff and her making sure, hey, make sure you post a photo today because we need just keep Han Solo in people's mind and make people think that, you know, it's all good. Like, it's just, it's just weird. Yeah. It's almost like changing the framing of it. Yeah. Because when Ron Howard fills in. Um, you think of him like, you know, helming the ship and steering it away from the rocks, mm-hmm. but him engaging on social media, uh, almost makes him more closely associated with the movie than Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Oh were. yeah. You know, um, like you, I think you kind of, I think you, I think you just said that, uh, him posting those is a way to create positive association mm-hmm. with Ron Howard, Star Wars and Han Solo. And, and yeah. And you know, um, help fill over the the cracks and you know the mistrust and you know the disaster that was having to have uh, Lord and Miller resign from directing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, you know, and his the interview that he gave or the quotes that he gave to the Hollywood Reporter, you know, there's they're so bland, uh, but then they're so positive. Like yeah. they're not about the challenges of directing a Star Wars movie. They're all, they're about the fun, but. Yeah. Howard has said, you know, he saw the movies with the kids. So you got to believe that he, there's a certain wonder to oh, yeah. him being on set and getting to play around with, you know, for a lot of kids, the, you know, their childhood hero, mm-hmm. um, in like, you know, a younger fashion. I think he said, it's a fantastic script, a great cast. And I am having a fantastic creative experience with it. You yeah. know, like that's a, no offense, but that's a whole lot of nothing. Yeah. And then like, you know, and the same thing again though, it's a great young cast, incredibly strong, smart, funny people who love their characters and love being a part of this movie. You know, it's almost, it's almost too rosy. Yeah. Uh, especially when you think about all the challenges that mm-hmm. he's got to deal with, especially with the time frame that he's been dealt. Uh, it's because this movie is still slated for May. And I don't like, there's no way it's going to change. Like Bumblebee just moved to December. Maybe Aquaman moves up a week. The Mary Poppins already comes out in December of next year. So does, um, um, what's the movie? Uh, I want to say it's Alita, but it's not Alita. It's, uh, the other one. Got it. I don't even know what Alita is, but it doesn't matter for sure. Uh, it's, it's there's some like Epic movie. that's coming out in December. I don't remember what okay. it's called, but it's from Lord of the Rings guy. Um, I'm blanking on everything today for whatever reason. So Tolkien, <laughs> but, Tolkien has another book coming through. It's it's Peter not, Jackson. 
yeah, it's uh, Eternal Mortal Engines, Eternal Engines, something like that. Sure. Something Engines. Got it. But Peter Jackson has some movie coming out like next December, so. Good for him. Uh, yeah, like there's there's no way Han Solo will move to December. Maybe it'll move back a couple weeks to mid-June or something to give way away from Infinity War or something, mm-hmm. but like it's it's not moving that far away. And like we no. talked about before we went on air, like this movie is currently in the midst of reshoots, we believe, uh, based on, you know, initial reports and everything that, you know, it's going to go six to eight weeks probably. And at that point, then if they're in week two right now or week three, we don't really know. Um, then, you know, you're not wrapping production until, you know, late September, early October. And at that point, maybe they're still going to do additional reshoots because, you still have to make a cut of the film mashing together Phil Lord and Chris Miller's footage and Ron Howard's. And like, there's no way those like you can know before Ron Howard finishes his movie yeah. or his three weeks of production that he mm-hmm. had to you know, you know, just cobble together to know instantly. Okay. I know all the changes I need to make. There's, there's no way this movie's not going to go back for additional reshoots, you know, at the beginning of next year. And, like there, there's a lot of stuff to do, and I don't, I don't know, I don't even know when we'll get our, our, our first look at this movie. Yeah, and the yeah, the question is like, once he gets his his cut, his cut in, how do they already going to know um, what needs to go where? Mm-hmm. You know, part of the innovating innovation of a film is putting it together in the editing room. You know, you're you're not going to be able to fit everything that you shot right into a movie. So you have to play, you have to, you know, play with those things and find pacing and Mm -hmm. all sorts of it. And if you have to get into reshoots that quickly so you can get your movie locked in, Mm -hmm. you know, you're there, there are certain questions, you know, that there are, you're, you're losing a step, Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, at least Gareth Edwards got to have when Mm -hmm. he realized, Oh, what we originally shot that's not going to work for a movie because <laughs> having them go from in the final act going from point A all the way across to point B as a team wasn't going to play out. They right. need to they need to split up, and that's how they'll fall one by mm-hmm. one. And um, you know he found that out in editing. Yeah. But if he if Howard's going from shooting to edit room as quick as possible, and then back out for reshoots, um. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to believe all that in mind that because he's showing off Lando Calrissian in the Millennium Falcon on the monitor and which is really cool by the right. way. Right. I'm so I'm so excited for Donald Glover's portrayal and then oh, his his very eccentric lineup um yeah. of clothing. Yeah. Yeah, so well, Ron Howard probably is having the time of his life. It's it's hard. It's still hard for me not to think about all of the issues that mm-hmm. they're going up against now lucasfilm um industrial light and magic well-oiled machines they could churn they could probably churn out a star wars movie in five months i mean i don't i don't know from start to finish from start to finish well, i'm sure you know but they take impossible. their time i don't know is you, it? Can't, you can't write a script shoot a script edit a movie in five months, I wouldn't say it'd be great, but well, I mean, you know. I guess I guess that's true. If you're if you're not <laughs> beholden to the quality, I, they 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 have it down to a they have down to an absolute science, and you know, but that I mean, one do they? Step they, is there. they keep having some hiccups. 
So maybe they're maybe they need to rework their formula a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree. Um, so yeah, though, but yeah, I am not fooled for a minute about yeah. Like, listen, I believe he's loving what he's doing. Yeah, and, of course. But, like you said, there's a vetting process for everything that he's doing. I'm absolutely sure of it. Um, but it does have to suck if you are Phil Lord and Chris Miller watching Howard, oh, yeah. you know, post from set and, you know, like yeah. play into, oh, look how great of a time I'm having on Star yeah. Wars when, you know, it's <laughs> oh, like watching look, we, your- we got to show up. A photo of the of the clapper <laughs> and do an omaze video or something like that's it right you know and then yeah it's like you know scrolling through facebook and looking at your ex-girlfriend exactly your boyfriend or whatever the case <laughs> is you know so that has to bite um yeah getting back to our initial question i guess i think we're both really confident in the last jedi correct yeah it's 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 a fail-proof system yeah we're, we're i have i'm still a little i don't know how they're going to explain the Carrie Fisher's passing. I mean, I, I think that's going to be something more left for nine. And I think that may be an issue. That may be a reason for the rewrites on nine um, because the rewrites, Colin Trevorrow, everything else. What is your confidence on, you know, on nine? Are you feeling good about it? You're a little worried uh, or are you just, you know, are you completely terrified of it? Confident about it. Think it's going to be fine. Just be great. I'm just anxious to see it. Right, but I would like to get to eight first. Right, yeah, exactly. And then, what about Han Solo? Uh, That's the one I'm most nervous about. I no, I think. I mean, I, these, like I said, I just finished saying these are masters. Um, I don't think it it'll be as excellent or as dangerous as I was hoping. Mm-hmm. With I think those it's going to be guys. a safe movie. But I think it'll be different enough that we can say, "Oh yeah, Rogue One. That was a really different Star Wars movie. Mm-hmm. It had a dark edge to it." You know, showed some sides of the galaxy far, far away that we've never seen mm-hmm. before. And then we'll say here, be like, wow, that was such a funny Star Wars movie. And, you know, it'll have that buddy comedy feel to mm-hmm. it while still existing, you know, in the how a Star Wars movie, you know, typically functions. Right. Type of a film. Yeah. So uh, that was our big question. Wasn't really that focused, probably. It was a little just kind of you know, the Star Wars talk, a little Star Wars action there for us. Because uh, it's been a little bit since we talked about Star Wars. Um, but that's all we got for this episode. Before we sign off, Josh, what are we doing next week? We are going to give a look back at the summer. Yeah. We're so, looking back at, well, not just the summer, the whole year so far. So we're going to be doing our best, our, our top 10 of 2017 so far. Uh, we are hoping to have our recurring guest Colton Leakty return uh, once again for that list, but you know we're still working on the schedule for him uh, and waiting on his work schedule to figure out whether or not that'll actually work or not. But uh, you know, are you what what are you excited about for doing this list? You know, can I, you tease anybody about anything? Or? Yeah, well, I'll tease you guys. A l- I mean, I don't know if it's a tease, but it just blew my mind to think Logan was a movie that came out this year that seems a long time ago um you know split was also out there uh I'm, and i you know i can't even i'm trying to think back to everything we've seen so mm-hmm. far spider-man homecoming it was just three weeks felt like a year ago you know that i saw that but that was just a little while Guardians, ago i felt like that was mm-hmm. forever ago I'm, I'm trying to pull up my list here of just everything we've seen I, I will i'll give this tease i think currently on my my top 10 list we'll have two movies that we have not reviewed on the podcast. Ooh. Or okay. three, three movies. Well, I think I know one of them already. 
you're gonna go with big sick is good definitely gonna crack yeah, that yeah, right that'll, that'll be in there yeah yeah, yeah. oh man i, I saw mean, it a second time it was so great the beast lego batman john wick 2 yeah uh yeah, and then I mean, Alien was out there too, but I don't know if that'll make it. But yeah, <laughs> there's been a lot of good cinema yeah, so far. It's, this it's year. been it's been a good year so far. Uh, so hopefully you guys will tune in for that list next week. Um, but yeah, so we're not reviewing anything. So if you're looking for a review next week, we won't have one. But hopefully you'll enjoy the list. And if you enjoy this episode, please subscribe, share, retweet, and more. Plus, head over to iTunes, give us a five-star review with comments. And like I've said before, if you do give us a review by the end of august so you got you know four weeks to do so you will be entered to win our summer prize pack of posters which currently consists of guardians of the galaxy volume 2 uh pirates of the caribbean 5 whatever the subtitle was plus uh two posters two different posters for uh planet of the apes one is a portrait of caesar and one is the triple feature poster that has the like the uh, the house logo for uh, James Franco's character with Rise, Dawn, and War listed. So uh, just cool stuff if you're a Planet of the Apes fan for this new reboot uh, trilogy. So please go to iTunes, give us those reviews if you can, if you have not already. So uh, during our time away, be sure to tell your thoughts on everything you've covered by tweeting us at Friends and Film. We receive updates on the podcast, movie news, and more. You can find Percy on Twitter at Coops underscore Hoops. And you can argue with me, Josh, at just Joshua Ryan. Thank you for tuning in to the Friends and Film podcast. Josh. Thanks for stopping by, everyone. Be sure to return next week for our list of our top 10 movies of 2017 so far. <laughs>